0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show and we won't shy away from spikes secrets and contrarian views to make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co hey guys welcome back to another season of climate insiders we are back after a little break and we're more optimistic than ever we worked hard to bring you an incredible lineup of founders, investors, and thought leaders. And our first guest is Karen Whittaker, the founder of Entocycle. Entocycle is an insect farming startup based out of London. They commercialize high tech insect breeding modules to enable efficient and scalable insect farming globally. He worked for five years as a scuba diving instructor, studied environmental design, and has become, over the years, one of the world's top experts in entomology. He knows everything about insects. Entercycle attended Y Combinator's summer 2017 batch and have been backed since by top investors like Lower Carbon Capital, Climatum Capital. Impact Ventures, and many others. In this episode, we touch on why insect farming is at a turning point due to COVID, the war in Ukraine, and the global protein shortage, the magical properties of insects to turn waste into highly nutritious protein, why Europe seems to have the lead today and the US seem to fall behind, and Karen's vision of the future and why this industry might become a much bigger game changer than most people think. As a quick disclaimer, I'm on the board of Antocycle, so my views are might be a little biased but I'll try my best to keep neutral stance so that you get all the insights in a neutral baseline. Without any further ado, let's go. Karen. it's a great delight to have you on Climate Insiders. Finally, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, how do you go from going from a scuba diving instructor to a venture-backed startup founder? (laughs) Was it a peaceful and rosy path?
1: No, it's a great question. Um, I look i was i was my background's environmental design and that's my education and i took a very uh, left choice to become a scuba diving instructor um but what scuba diving and i would live in southeast asia central america south america and i saw the same thing every single time dead coral reef and that is a nursery of our oceans plenty more fish to the sea it's not true we have eaten apparently 51 percent of all fish and i've seen it with my own eyes so everywhere that i've lived you don't see fish. You go to some of the few controlled areas of the world, like Komodo National Park, and you see thousands of beautiful fish and th- they're everywhere. And then you go to where people actually interact, and we have created underwater deserts. And then lastly, because I lived in these beautiful uh, countries, predominantly on the equator, this is where a lot of rainforest is, and you literally see these rainforests while you're living there getting cut down to create monocrops. And the scary thing about this is actually it's not to feed us directly most of this is actually to create large monoculture crops large products that we then ship internationally around the world to feed animals and we're losing all that value and because you know in, in each country we have amazing farmers we have amazing people trying to create local products but the international supply chain to provide the food the feed for these animals is is devastating but because it's over there we forget about it so i said no enough is enough i can't i can't just sit here i can't sit on the beach i can't live a life of luxury and, you know enjoyment when I see this damage, and that's what drove me to start Anticycle, um, and that's what drove me to farm insects on that scale. Um, and so the journey from, from over, over here to over there, you know, is, it sounds crazy, but actually because of that drive, that passion, that kind of want to make a fundamental difference to the, the world, that's what put me on the journey. And why
0: particularly insect farming, and, and how does it fit into the broader context of agriculture?
1: Um, another great question so look insects are not new insects the genus is about 200 million years old it's always been around it is part of the natural ecosystem the, the the apple falls from the tree the worm eats the apple the bird eats the worm and up we go up the food web add that into society we make food waste the insects eat the food waste The animals eat the insects and off we go up the food web. It's a completely natural, normal process. There's nothing new. There's no genetic modification. There's no scientific enzymatic processes. We're just taking the best of nature and applying it into the human ecosystem. And and that's the beauty of it. Like every single animal eats insects. It's called fly fishing for a reason because that's how you catch a fish. You see free range chickens happily going around the field eating insects. I even joke. One of my favorite childhood films, The Lion King. Pumbaa is ripping off wood, eating insects. He's a pig. That's what animals (laughs) eat. And actually, two thirds of the world also already eat insects. It's naturally part of the diet. Pets eat insects. It's naturally part of the diet. So it's, we're we're doing the, the irony here is we're doing nothing new. We're just taking the best that evolution has to offer and applying it in a 21st century context.
0: So we're just going back in time.
1: I wouldn't even say going back in time. We're just making common sense decisions now.
0: Mm. And can you speak specifically to the magical properties of a black soldier fly? Just kind yeah, of the, absolutely. the basics of it, and why did Encyclo focus on that particular magical insect?
1: So the whole, this whole kind of industry exploded because in 2017, Europe actually changed regulation to allow insects. Now Europe never moves quickly. Europe is known as the kind of you know the backwaters when it comes to innovation and That's regulation. Yeah, but Europe moved first. Why? Because actually Europe is hugely dependent on protein imports. And I'll get back to the insect in a second. So, because you have to kind of set the context here. Now, mm-hmm. Europe, we, you know, I still consider myself very much a European. We import about 90, 95% of the proteins that we actually then put into the food chain. Look what happened. One boat in the, in the canal uh, got blocked. Global food prices went up, including feed covid hit and that was a detrimental effect prices went all over the place then we had um the war in ukraine and eastern europe at the moment and again that's a bread of europe prices globally took a massive shock these things are actually pretty small when it comes to What's going to happen with the climate catastrophe when you see droughts in the middle of brazil when you're seeing el nino el nina and all the f- pelagic, small pelagic fish moving into different parts like these are going to be devastating global shocks that will last for generations not for six months not for 12 months not for two years so the whole purpose of europe went first for insect protein is because we need to guarantee that localism so it's all about hyper local supply chains and every company in the world now worth their kind of value you know big corporate small in, uh, small startup need to guarantee those supply chains uh, and food is going to become the new kind of gold, or protein is going to become the new the new uber uh, important product that nationals and nations and you see that in lots of countries especially europe germany denmark france singapore and asia they now have national protein strategies because it's so important to have this cool so that's the setting insects why insects because you can farm them anywhere now there are five insects the kind of the two jumping the crickets and the grasshoppers and then the, the mealworms two types of mealworms they're, they're all good there's no there's no negative to them but they just take longer and all need to eat n- normal food so you're not really changing the, the game here you're just increasing the process black soldier fly hermetic are actually a flying larvae species now the beauty of them is that the larvae only eat rotting material they, they eat a very very wide range everything from beer grain through to animal manures they don't really care and they can grow between five and 7,000 times their body mass. And the reason why they grow so fast and can eat so many types of different types of waste is because in nature, the flies don't actually have a natural digestive system. So they can't really consume any energy. The fly's entire job is to use all that energy it's created, metamorphosize, find a mate, lay the eggs. And then that's the job of the flies done. The fly will live kind of less than one week. And so this supercharged turbo incredibly strong They can handle minus two degrees. They can handle at rubbing alcohol. They can handle up to 60 degree temperature. They're this, this kind of machine designed to turn waste into protein. And that's the beauty of them. Um, and not only that, because the adults don't have a digestive system, the flies are non-disease. They're non-pest. They're never going to land on manure. They're never going to land on you. So they're never going to be that disease vector. And the larvae only eat decaying materials. So they never climb up a tree and eat a fruit. So they'll never eat crops in the field like mealworms met. So they're just a very, very safe, very, very hardy, incredibly supercharged insect. That is a perfect protein profile for animals.
0: Wow. Thanks for the context. I often compare that to a technology and say it's a fastest technology that can turn waste into protein. Can you speak to the duration? How much did it actually take from larvae to full adult size and, and give a bit of a context of how you actually turn an insect into protein? Just purely shredding the, the, the adult? It seems yeah, like no, a brutal process.
1: No, there's nothing like that. So the larvae will grow from about one millimeter, kind of sub one millimeter, into about two and a half, three centimeters. Now, depending on that type of waste stream you feed them, that will take anything from five days to 12 days. We're talking days here. We're not talking mm-hmm. weeks or months like al- other animals. We're talking days. And that's, a. as I said, they can grow between three to 7,000 times their body mass. And what they're literally doing, because they're a larvae species, they actually, like a snake, they sh- they grow in instar. They grow in five instars, so they shed their skins, and they grow quickly, shed the skins, grow quickly again. Now, what we want to do is harvest them at that maximum point in time. So when they have consumed as much of the food waste as possible to their body mass, before they then start metamorphosing or beginning that journey to metamorphosis to a fly. So that's the harvest time. Now, the flies themselves, they're not part of the protein process. They are the breeders. If you like, they are the next generation. But what we then do with the larvae, because you've put food waste in, you've put small larvae, and then at the end of that process, that week process, you then end up with about kind of sub three millimeter particle food waste, which is actually known as a frass, which is insect poo. And it's a fantastic fertilizer. And then you grow and you have two and a half three centimeter larvae so it's very easy to separate those two products when done correctly because you have a nice dry substrate and then those larvae are then heat treated so for a quality control step and then they are either dried frozen or milled and, it, um, and then all the, the last step is then they can have the oil extracted to make a very high refined protein meal and so that depends on the market required so pet food companies often want fresh products uh, you're seeing companies now using live insects to increase the health and well-being of, of uh, animals, such as chickens, or then you're actually creating protein meal that can go into animal feed, protein bars, you name it. Even cho- uh, high-end chocolates in France.
0: <laughs> can you also speak? You, you just touched on the on the, in, the point of inflection that we've observed since COVID, the war in Ukraine, other global global supply chain issues. Can you speak, you and I spoke about that, the gold rush that we're observing in emerging markets, particularly in you know, tropical places like Africa. Can you explain exactly, give us sort of a the, bit of a, the, the bird's eye view of what's happening there and why is it happening so rapidly?
1: Cool. So often the question I get is, well, everyone's going vegan, aren't they? Like myself, I'm very, very food conscious, but that is not the reality on a global scale. For every Westerner who goes flexitarian, vegetarian, vegan, you then have a hundred people in, in developing economies who are, who are becoming uh, assumed and accustomed to a Westernized diet. So that means meat, that means chicken, that means beef, that means pork, depending on the parts of the world you're in. And so you, you're looking at this kind of 50 to 1, 100 to one structure, which means the curve and demand for meat, protein is going to grow by about 70%. So we're going to face about a 60 million tonne shortfall again that's not the farming of the animals that you know the farmers do a fantastic job working farming being healthy but the feed that they produce is actually a running out and b has probably the highest environmental f- uh, cost to farming an animal so the latest reports have shown that in, ch- in poultry farming for example nearly 75 percent of the carbon and the environmental footprint comes from the feed not from the farming so no matter how good companies are no matter how good supermarkets are on that 25 percent in creating you know reducing the carbon footprint 75 percent comes from that supply chain and that's where we fit in not only are insects produced locally but it can actually be a zero carbon or a carbon capture protein when used on the right waste so you turn 75 percent negativity into a positive and so it's 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 a win-win-win for everybody you get local protein you recycle food waste you get food guaranteed and it's better and healthier for animals because Lo and behold, insects have been animals have been eating insects forever,
0: and particularly in Africa, where it is a real game changer because that means decentralizing protein production. You don't rely on the the supply chain, deforesting the Amazon forest, shipping that to, to locally. You can literally rely on on local, locally sourced waste. And why is that so game changing in in, in those territories that historically didn't rely, could not rely on their own chain?
1: yeah absolutely and so so you're seeing and again there is local knowledge there is local know-how there's local structures that will then mean they can use other alternative products combining with insect protein to actually then feed these animals um again it's out of sight out of mind mentality is, is often the case here the damage is happening over there therefore we don't have to care about it but in reality what it means is Global supply chains mean that it's the damage is happening here, the damage is happening now, and it's only going to get worse. So insects are a beautiful solution to a lot of problems around the world, but hyper-local production. So we're talking in-country or even vertically integrated supply chains.
0: So you just touched on that. One of the key advantages of insect farming is its low environmental impact compared to traditional agriculture processes. But how do you safeguard the positive impact of insect farming? When, if you think about it, if you reach scalability, you could turn into growing your own crops to build your own waste so that you could feed that to your own insect, right? Uh, So pure commercial profitability could push you to grow crops instead of locally sourcing waste. So how do you safeguard against that?
1: Yeah, and you've seen that in other industries like anaerobic digestion, turning, you know, fermenting food essentially or or waste into into energy. so there's a couple of ways that this happens one the actual waste streams that insects can eat is far broader so just using we're not using a mealworm for example where a mealworm can only eat grains so it can only eat grains therefore it can only eat out of the existing supply chain when we're focusing predominantly on black soldier fly and if you look at the market in general about 95 percent of the market globally is using black soldier flies they can eat manures we're working on projects in east africa where they're using utilizing human waste they actually can eat this much wider range of substrates that you know we do have to think about grains and other products and what you're actually seeing globally now is the regulation changing and shifting to enable more and more types of waste streams animal manures, for example to go into the insect supply chain This is where Europe was ahead, and now Europe's slightly behind, is that rapid transformation of what you can put into to to feed the insects. Reality, the insects do not care what you feed them, as long as you give them what they want. You know, they they love human waste. They love animal waste. That's what they've been eating for 2 million years, 10 million years. What we have to do is improve that legislation, but you are seeing it, so being part of groups, being part of governments. You know, uh, you have regions of the world now which are saying, yep, we're already on this. We will allow any type of food waste into that process. So there's almost, there's two factors here. One is the insects themselves have a natural bio, the bioavailability to eat loads of types of food waste. So we're not restricted to that, that you know, risk of becoming vertically dependent on uh, growing our own feed. And then secondly, actually global regulation is shifting to enable that. So, you know, we're, we're on the right path here.
0: So you touched also on Europe um, being ahead, and it seems to me, if you look at the the raw numbers and capital raise for companies in Europe, right, Uh, namely uh, Insect or InnovaFeed in France, projects in the Netherlands. So the behemoths in that space seem all to be Europeans. Why is that? Is there a historical reason and justification why Europe still seems ahead when in other sectors we're kind of struggling?
1: Yep, yeah, so i kind of touched on this earlier it's a great question it's because europe is so dependent on protein imports europe then went okay we will change the regulation we will then set up investment groups we will then set up kind of national infrastructure to enable this and therefore by by being first movers they attracted the first talent they, they, they attracted the first companies and now you're seeing these big corporations growing doing a you know they are build own operate factories so they they say they can do everything they're building entire factories they're they're securing the, the feedstock inputs they're securing the offtake agreements and then they're developing all of the technology inside reality this is not the way that any industry has scaled or grown but that is the reason why europe has moved first and i'm kind of alluding on to now where Entercycle fits fit into this whole entire supply chain mm-hmm. so you know if you're a builder and operate you have to have lots of moving parts you know even the biggest companies out there like in uk or you know they, they they vertically integrate food shopping delivery and they have very special technology but they don't own everything they don't, the whole entire you know they don't own the factory walls they don't own the sensor systems they don't, they don't own absolutely everything so when you actually break apart insect factory and you look inside it there are lots of different areas of innovation and specialization you know, no one has farmed insects at, at mass scale for a long time. Where we know the future is and we believe that every single factory we'll need to have is computer vision enabled hardware that manages the insects through that system in real time. And we're not talking about thousands of animals, we're not talking about millions of animals here, we're talking about billions of insects in real time that will range from the size of a grain of sand all the way through to three-dimensional flying flies. And that's tricky. That becomes far more complicated. And that's where EnterCycle, we enter the arena. So we we see these, these existing customers in the space, all these kind of smaller startups around the world, all the new market entrants, for them the waste management companies, animal feed companies, they need accurate solutions to then farming insects at scale. So we provide a suite of technology, starting at the EnterCycle Neo, which is a computer vision powered neonate counter. We can count thousands, 3,000 neonates per second. At 99% accuracy, that means we can dose accurately the insects. We can feed a box every second. So when you're thinking about large-scale factories or even smaller-scale facilities, it's all about that accuracy, which means you put the right amount of food waste, in the right amount of insects, and then depending on your, your process, you get that accurate product. Because the same thing, in this industry, you need to provide an exact product for your customer. So when they're selling to the feed companies, the pet food companies, those guys depend on a really accurate protein product, and we can help enable that.
0: So, since you're bringing the, the conversation to the, the product, let's go let's go right there. One of the top questions that you know immediately you can think of is historically the big players have always taken a fully vertically integrated strategy, right? So they they do end to end insect production, packaging, conditioning, and then they ship or they you know they serve directly the the the, the customers. Why did you decide to take a picks and shovels approach? Um, and why particularly those modules to count to use computer vision AI to optimize the counting of insects?
1: So the the reason why we jumped into this kind of is because the industry has evolved, it has grown, and if you look at any traditional industry, any other industry, the first movers have to go in and they have to do everything, and so often they spend a lot of money money they spend a lot of money on legacy, so they're spending on innovation R and D. And actually, when they're building these factories, they find out and they work out that parts of it aren't how they expected it or it's not how it should be. And yet there's going to be continuous innovation. I mean, look at something as boring as a, as a supermarket or a grocery store that has innovation across that store continuously. The store that first went in is not the store that you see 20 years later or even five years later. Um, think car production plants. The innovation is always going in there. Now, when these companies are build and operating factories, they're building one at a time. Maybe two at a time, we're going to start seeing, maybe even three at a time, but they're only building kind of systematically, very slowly and scaling up. We actually, when you look at the wider landscape, we've gone from, but three or four companies five, six years ago, we're now kind of pushing on a thousand companies globally in the insect space. And now they're entering because they have better taxes. They have better waste management laws. They have better defensibility. They're vertically integrating. They have, they have a reason to actually farm insects in their local environment. Now that we could have gone build one factory, build two factories, or we can actually say, okay, this growing industry, this thousand plus companies, we can actually then supply all of them and actually make a much bigger, more fundamental change to this industry as it's scaling. And now it's not just these thousand companies. It's also new market entrants, waste management companies, animal feed companies, pet food companies, they want a ready-made solution. <clears throat> And so they also have specialism, whether it's waste management, whether it's protein offtake, they know how to do those parts. What they don't know is that middle section, the breeding. And again, we can come in here and provide them a ready-made solution to scale. And we're seeing customers from both groups, existing insect farmers and new market entrants approaching us to, for our solutions. And it's fantastic. And, you know, and it's all about the right time, right place. And we feel we've exactly hit the nail on the head when it comes to the mass production of protein. Because we go back to the macro issues, the war in Iran, uh, sorry, the war in um, uh, Ukraine, the uh, COVID and the kind of the, the, the boats getting blocked in, uh, globally. This has just caused people to actually really realize that protein and their supply chains are under immense pressure. So right time, right place, right industry, right technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you're. Uh, I wanted to clarify something which is unclear to most people, the fact that insect farming today, the most the most probably promising application is animal feed is fish feed is pet food not necessarily human food when are we going there what's your prediction and is there any notable regulatory policy changes that need to enter uh, and be put in application for that to happen what is the time horizon here and what is necessary for that to happen
1: cool i almost want to say Even bigger than that, you're actually seeing insect production being an entire umbrella industry. It's no longer just food and feed or pet food or even human. We're now seeing it's becoming fundamental to fertilizer production, to uh, waste management solutions, even kind of uh, petrochemical and beauty products. So there's actually a much wider industry now growing out of insects. Uh, And again, all of these industries are in technology. So that's why we're positioning ourselves very much as a tech player to all these new verticals. But to answer your question directly, so yes, animal feed, uh, pet food, is the primary driver for this market, and it's the prime because again, it's, it's it's a very easy win in most people's mind. And actually, when the EU regulation changed, seventy four percent said, "Yeah, we we'll happily have insect fed animals." Now, that might sound a bit low, but actually, when you take it compared to genetically modified food, at the same time, which had less than forty percent, or best thing about forty or forty five percent, so it's a far higher accepted product and something that's been around for quite some time. And again, remember, you pay a premium for free range chickens because they're eating insects. Now moving into the human landscape, you're already starting to see it. Now over the last kind of four or five years, what you saw was not gimmick, but you saw whole insects, whether they were on sticks in lollipops or it is chips or crisps. That's not really where this industry is going to be really going. That's your kind of your first market products. Where we're now starting is the protein flour. And protein flour is going into bread, biscuits, crackers, pasta, noodles, you're getting the protein inside the carbohydrate. So it's actually a kind of a separation between up an insect to, oh, it's a highly sustainable, natural protein flour. And you're seeing these companies now on the shelves around Europe. And that's because the legislation has changed from a novel protein to a actual protein. It's insect protein, is just a protein. It's now, you can buy it. And you The rest of the world looks a lot at Europe to then change their regulation or accept stuff. So Europe is moving very quickly again when it comes to this part of the regulatory framework. Does that
0: mean that in the future, whatever the source of of the protein, it it won't be indicated in any of the products, right? If you look at the the packaging, it's not indicated. And it could very much be insect-based protein form as it could be uh, soy-based.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you'll see high-protein, low-carbon footprint, Deforestation-free protein, mm. and that's what people want. You know, that's what that's what we're after, and that's what the the the, the general global conscious consumer is looking for. And the product is at a good price. So now let's assume that that turns out to be the
0: case, and we need enormous volumes. So how do we deliver on those enormous volumes? Who is going to play a critical role to ramp up from just a niche industry to something ginormous that can deliver on those millions of tons of? There is a new actor you say you mentioned new incumbents or new uh, market entrance uh we can think of waste managers what was the role that they have to play and do, are they equipped to do any kind of insect
1: farming today so n- no they are not equipped for any technology but yes they are equipped when it comes to logistics so they have their they have their hands on the waste they already have pre-processing equipment they have sites and facilities And then they also have off-take agreements, whether that's into, let's say, uh, anaerobic digesters. They know about that supply chain, that movement of waste. What they are looking for are, for lack of a better word, bioconversion facilities that can then make that transformation. And what you're actually seeing now is different countries around the world really positively implement um, uh, regulation. That actually, you will then see these companies getting paid to take the waste. So look at Japan, look mm. at Korea already; they're getting paid between a hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollars to process that waste. So now, what you're not not only are you starting to see these large actors moving into the space, but you're actually seeing because there's other regulatory benefits or other um, tax benefits, it means that the protein price is going to start dropping a lot quicker uh, because you're not actually making your protein, your your value on the sales; you're making your your sorry. You're not just making your value on the sales, you're making your value on the input as well. And so you can really start to play around and become competitive in in this protein space. Um, And it's not just the waste management companies. Now, across Europe, we have a huge billion, multi-billion tonne problem coming up, which is human waste. Now, that might be a difficult sell when it comes direct to human, but actually putting that back into the uh, the other type of supply chains, like, we make organic material, and right now we spend billions a year from our taxes across Europe and across the world paying for that to then get treated, to in reality, to be getting got rid of. We should actually be capturing those nutrients, capturing. So all of these different industries, we've got the waste. We, we, we make, I mean, I think it's 40% of food waste now in, in Europe. We used to be America. We used to go, oh, Americans, they waste 40%. Now in Europe, we're wasting 40% of the food that is actually grown. And if you look on Fork to Fork, reality from the farm to our plate is probably more like fifty to sixty percent because those wonky potatoes we don't know either, they get buried in the ground. Those kind of uh, fruits that look a little bit off we, we're not even getting from the middleman. Then it comes to the supermarket. So actually these numbers, we've got the waste. Now we need the scale. And that's where we enter, which is we enable all of these different type of actors to scale for their own rationality.
0: So how is your, realistically, your company going to evolve in terms of product development or expansion plans or exciting projects? Are you going to evolve from a, a, you know, a technological feature set or, because what you're mentioning here as a human problem is much more of a supply chain, right? is more about waste collection, waste management than it is about counting the insects and helping develop the the growth. Would you ever venture much more upfront in that value chain and handle the waste?
1: So it's a great question, but in reality, no, look, there are people in this industry, in these, in these industries already, who are experts in logistics, experts in off-tech rooms, experts in, in even engineering large facilities. What we specialize in very much so is a suite of insect specific technologies that can be applied to multiple industries. So w- where we see our growth, and okay, we've just built we're just building our center of excellence in central London, where tr- we're attracting some of literally the best talent from around the world, whether that's food, engineering, science, entomology, biology, uh, all into, and we're creating a center of excellence. And here we're demonstrating the next iteration. So already from kind of 3,000 neonates per second, uh, we've already increased that systematically, and now we're making sure that the technology wraps around it. Our computer vision system is not only just computer vision, it's also machine learning. And we're now pushing into AI development, which means sexting of animals. We can then do genetic modification around, when I say genetic modification, I mean speeding up of the the breeding cycle, speeding up of the the size of the insect. This whole kind of innovation space is because we're playing in the tech sector. We are playing very much with technology and with science and with kind of where we think everything will go, which is machine learning and and, um, AI essentially, because... You can't can't do this. You can't get human counting. You can't do things by guessing or by weight. We see ourselves very much in that middle ground, uh, evolving technology through this industry and then moving into the digital space. So actually creating three-dimensional factories that can be built very, very quickly with our partners, Um, remote management, so that no matter which part of the world you're in, you're always being provided that service. So that's what we focus on.
0: Can you paint us a picture of how this industry is going to evolve over the next five to 10 years? So from a geographical perspective, you mentioned Japan, South Korea, they're ahead. They already have the policies to collect waste and handle it. Yeah, there's also the Middle East that has a, a role to play. There's uh, Africa or, or, or Europe or even the U.S. Sort of geographically, where is this going to bl- blossom the quickest? And then how is this going to turn into a giant industry? If you could point, uh, paint us the, the vision, that would be super helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you've got a few core areas of the world which are already evolving. So Europe, because of the legislation, because of the funding, because of these BMUs that you already spoke about. And these, you don't see these as competitors, these are customers for us. Secondly, the Middle East said so they have a huge growth in aquaculture, for example, uh, and they have a huge problem with food waste. And so, yes, they are a perfect integrator. and We're already doing projects over there, which is fantastic. We see certain regions of Asia that we call CapEx, Asia, Japan, Korea, Singapore, because they have problems with labor proportions. They have problems with um, uh, actually managing waste themselves, and they have very, very large farming supply chain. Or Singapore, for example, in its 2030 food guarantee, uh, they've actually licensed three islands of malaysia to then help grow food to guarantee singapore and they can't just grow massive big fields of food they have to look for this innovation vertically controlled food insect farming for example so those are three of the natural areas however I always like to say rice is a perfect example so rice farmed in india in the lowest tech pr- pr- um, uh, you can imagine you know literally lots of laborers using their hands or the US, where rice is also farmed on mass scale with automated drone guided uh, uh, vehicles, every single grain of rice still goes through a quality control step, which is a computer vision sourcing system. We see the same with the insect landscape, whether you're farming East Africa, India, America, Europe, you are always going to need that quality control step using computer vision. So we see our technology going to every single type of insect factory around the world. But then the rest of the facility will either be more capex or less capex depending on the price of labor so that's just to kind of set we see a very much a global game here this is not one geographic this is not one area but the kind of there are key first markets europe middle east capex asia and then it will be followed by north america regions of uh, africa because there's a natural industry and obviously south america as well because it's just such a large farming region the answer there so it's global the way we then see it growing is twofold very much you have existing insect companies or companies who want to work in the insect space who will say okay we can do x y and z but what we need from you enter cycle is two or three pieces of your equipment that's one growth market sector and we've seen as i said it's already gone from a handful to nearly a thousand and the other market sector will be the waste management companies, will be, as you're now starting to see, the big ag groups. So we just had a fantastic trip uh, over in Turkey, where they are now vertically integrating their supply chain. So they are the chicken farmers, they are the feed mills, and they are now looking at the protein supply chain. So th- there's not one answer here, which is the beauty of this industry. It is insect farmers, it is waste management companies, it is animal feed companies, it is pet food solutions. It is even people who are looking at fertilizers now, so fertilizers, obviously what's happening um, ukraine prices have gone kind of two to three x and we're seeing phenomenal growth using frass so anything between 50 to 500 times growth of uh, plants because we're giving them a better a better solution uh, you're seeing that the same with when you're feeding salmon when you're feeding chicken when you're feeding pig they're healthier better animals when they're being fed so not only is it an alternative protein but it's actually a better protein it's not only the alternative fertilizer it's a better fertilizer uh, and i will kind of put it there for a second
0: yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for the analogy with the, the rice production, but also you mentioned chicken production, you know, the industries that are really mature and every part of the value chain is fully automated. Let's just face it. So the insect farming is just a nascent industry that will mature up to what we're seeing in, in the chicken industry. And as a founder of the climatic industry, so your why is really strong. I mean, you started, you know, observing the catastrophes in those islands as a scuba diving instructor. There an army. There's an army of people that are just sitting on the sideline, wondering how they can help tackle this problem. And since the insect farming industry is multi-dimensional and it needs to grow in so many different directions, what advice would you have to other entrepreneurs that are looking to penetrate the space? You know, what kind of problem set would you suggest them to to address?
1: Uh- Well, first of all I wanna say it's not just entrepreneurs, it is anybody. Are you an accountant? Mm -hmm. Are you a logistics specialist? Are you a engineer? Are you a scientist? Are you working in oil, gas, finance, you know, like you could easily be turning those talents, companies like Intercycle, we need you. We literally need every type of skill set under the sun. It's not your scientists from academic academia, it's not your deep tech engineers, it is the entire bandwidth of of the working population that we need. And I think it's not, you know, that's not just any cycle. That's every climate tech company. Like there's no need to be specializing in climate tech anymore, jump on board, find an entercycle, come and join us, come and join the revolution. Now, when it comes to actually, uh, founders or, uh, people who are looking to en- um, people who are looking to enter this space, look food, feed protein fertilizers in a hundred years time. Will we need Facebook? Will we need to order stuff off Amazon instantly in three seconds. Probably not. Do we need social media networks? Probably not. Do we need SaaS platforms? Probably not. Will we need to eat? Will we need clean food? Will we need clean water? Will we need products that actually can can make humans live? absolutely it's never going to go away so the, the reason these industries are some of the, the more difficult to challenge because they're they're very static they're very traditional but you are really starting to see innovation right now this is the kind of the time for innovation in this space and when you double that down with climate change and the climate catastrophe that's coming we need the people to enter this area so you can hopefully you can see that like found company company's hard like anyone who tells you it, it's easy anyone who tells you that they've been on that journey uh, is is talking that it is it's talking rubbish because it is probably the single hardest thing you'll ever do and you think you're going to go from point a to point b in two years no you're going to go all over the place you're going to go back 20 steps Not you're going to fall happen. over yeah exactly and if you're doing that in something you don't really care about and doesn't have any value there's no mission driven like it's hard to get out of bed like like i always say like, it's, it's quite cheesy that being a founder is not—it's a bit like uh boxing. It's, it's not how hard you can hit; it's how hard you can get hit and keep going and keep going and keep going and, keep going and take those kind of those banking crises. Yeah, there's you know, like there's uh, all these things that you just <laughs> never see you that happening at, at literally at 11 p.m. on a Friday night. But actually, when you're getting out of bed and you're, and you're trying to encourage people that, like, what the mission we're doing is fundamental. It's not important; it's fundamental. That makes it a lot easier to get out of bed. That makes it a lot easier to take those hits. It makes it a lot easier to kind of uh, metamorphosize your business as you're you're growing it. So yes, it's harder, but it's far more rewarding and you'll be far more driven to actually do it because you know you're making a difference fundamentally to the way that you, me, us as a society live. And so I think that's one of the key answers is that you you need a reason to get out of bed and, and fighting the climate catastrophe we're facing. It, you know it couldn't be a better and bigger one to do
0: wow here here and this is going to keep us busy for the rest of our days well thank you so much kieran i think that we're wrapping this episode up i this was an awesome conversation very insightful i really enjoyed it
1: thank you very much and i just want to say it's amazing having you yourself johan and Clementine, as uh, our lead investors and it's like strong uh, Supporters of the company. It's fantastic to see that it's not just us as founders, but it's also you as investors who are actually driving change, driving the support, and you know, helping. We're fighting hand in hand to make this planet a better place.
0: Thank you very much for the kind words. Indeed, we're building families here, communities. It's not just founders alone and hiring a team. It's the extended team, and we're part of the team. So, thanks again, and to all of you. Thanks for listening, for your loyalty. Don't forget to subscribe. We have an amazing lineup coming up. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding, or become an LP, visit clementum.com.